Well, good morning, family. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, we are taking a short reprieve from the book of Jude because I felt a strong leading to discuss an important topic that it just has not been on our radar the way I think it needs to be. And so if you would please turn to Ephesians 6. Um, There's a few bingo pictures here for the kids to find real quickly um, while I'm explaining the purpose for this message. Friends, whether we are seeing it or not, we are under attack. We are under attack. And I'm not just referring to the church at large, but to Crossroad Christian Church in particular. Okay, Just within this church family, there are serious marital problems. There are job struggles. There are health issues. There are mental issues. There is grief. There's all kinds of issues that we're struggling with and going through right now. Finances. There's, there are issues that people are dealing with. And many of us have had our emotional core shaken hard in just the past week. Although many of us are probably in the midst of a long-standing crisis. While mature people shouldn't believe that life will always be easy, I think we're noticing things are becoming exponentially more difficult as the world slides further and further into darkness and chaos. I'll tell you this, in my lifetime, I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen the world this close to a, a, a drastic and irreversible change brought on by agents of evil. That's not the only problem. Among our nation's professing church, and yes, even here at Crossroad, there's also some deep, Rooted spiritual apathy that's the result of burnout at one end and laziness on the other. And it's keeping us from doing something about the state that we're in. Now, please understand this, this is not a condemnation, it is an observation. Why are we concerning ourselves with, with bread and circuses when the world is, is on the broad road to destruction all around us? I think we're not tuned in to the fact that we are under attack and the church has not, in general, the church has not been equipped well enough to do something about it. Now, we can't change how Christendom as a whole sees things, but but as the preaching elder at Crossroad, it is my obligation and privilege to point us to the Word of God in order to be aware of what's happening and know what we're called to do. So, if you're all in Ephesians 6, Let's bow for a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. God, I just I ask in Jesus' name for each person today, help us to be good soil. I pray the, the word takes root and bears fruit. I pray, Father, is, is this is a, it is a shorter message, um, but it is a, a profound one, Father. I believe that, that people need to, to stay awake and pay attention, Lord. For those who are not here this morning, I, I hope and pray they hear it later. We all need to recognize the truth here, Father. We are under attack. Help us know what to do, and, and today as we study what to do. I pray that you'll give us wisdom to discern it fully in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Starting in verse 10 of Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. All right. So in in this first section, we are being introduced to the concept of of the armor of God, which it's, it's a really well-known uh, passage, a very familiar subject, right? 
And, and we're going to get there in just a few more verses because it, it comes uh, up shortly. But, but first, I want to give you a heads up, okay? Paul is writing to a first century audience in terms that they're going to understand. And I think most of us kind of view the armor of God with a more, like, uh, like a romanticized view. You know, if you do a Google image search, you're going to see what I mean. There's a lot of really cool pictures, right? There's like, it, it's, most of them aren't anything like what Paul was talking about, though. You know, like we might have a, you know, a knight from the Middle Ages, you know, standing there with this ginormous sword. You know, he looks like he's ready to, to just take on a whole army all by himself, you know, but, but if we want to grasp what Paul was talking about, it's actually more similar to this. You know, it's, a, it's not as cool. <laughs> but there are some really neat nuances to this armor of God that actually matter in how we understand it. And we're going to get to those, but I want, I want you to just remember this, okay? The whole point of this that Paul opens with, we are to be, we're to be strong in the Lord and in his might. You understand that? Not in our own strength. We're to be strong in the Lord and His might. He doesn't tell us to put on our armor. He tells us to put on the armor of God. And we need supernatural protection because, friends, we are not uh, much better than sheep. The Bible even calls us sheep. And we have a supernatural enemy that is stronger and smarter and far more cunning than any of us are or could ever be, okay? So continuing in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's a sobering thought. And yet, I think it's interesting, probably almost everybody in this room has heard this passage so many times that we know it by heart. So why do we live as though it's not true? I mean, the, the Bible is very clear about what the real struggle is, but we live day-to-day -day life like we don't believe it. How many of you read the, the book of Job? Most of us have probably read the book of Job. Okay, how many of you are familiar with the story of Job? If you haven't read the book, okay. Let me ask you this question then. When the attacks on Job came, how did they, how did they come? How did they manifest? Right, right? <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, so, so they were physical, tangible experiences, right? Okay. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that, that was loud. Um, first, Job's property, all of it, is stolen and destroyed, along with his servants, okay? He, he hears all of this at the, at the same time almost, right on top of each other. And then on top of that, all ten of his children die at the same time in, in a natural disaster, which is actually something that Satan brought about. And then... Added to all of this emotional suffering, all this grief and terrible loss, his health is ruined, and he's in awful pain. And who did this to him? Satan. Okay? By the way, as, as hard as it is to grasp why God allows the devil so much freedom to attack his people, let's remember that God allowed it, knowing that his servant would stay faithful. And in the end, he rewarded Job with a double portion of blessing. 
just want to remind you guys that. But, but he did let Satan attack Job. And Satan's weapons were physical. So why don't we assume that more of our daily struggles, the things that we deal with on a physical level, why don't we recognize that more of those things are spiritual attacks than we want to believe? Did I word that poorly? Why don't we understand that things happening to us physically may be a spiritual attack? Friends, we are so busy worrying about our, our circumstances, you know, our finances and our health and complaining about the people around us. We forget that God is allowing us to be tested and the devil is sifting us. You know, Satan wants us distracted. He wants to keep us off task for a reason, right? We're on a mission. We're on a mission. Church, there's a reason that Paul uses martial language. Okay, the Holy Spirit inspired him to use the word struggle to describe how we deal with the enemy, which, make no mistake, it is a real struggle. In case you missed that one, sorry. It's wheat. Okay. It is a real struggle. The use of warfare terminology is fully intentional. Christians, we are supposed to be consciously engaged in battle. We should always be ready to listen to our commanding officer and to obey him and to even suffer when called to it, okay? So we're going to deal with a lot of hardship. We need to just be prepared for that. And a lot of it may even be at the hands of other human beings, maybe even professing Christians. And whenever this happens, church, we've got to remember who the real enemy is. Okay, Paul says the real struggle is not against flesh and blood, at least not ultimately. You know, when we forget this, that's when we, we get into the infighting and, and the gossip and, you know, all the, the petty frustrations against others. You know, even our church family can be a victim of this, even, even your, the people in your own homes. Y'all, we need to remember that our ultimate enemy isn't the person who did us harm. It's the spiritual forces that have been cultivating wickedness since the fall. That's who we're really up against. Our struggle is against the cosmic forces of evil. Now, there are several nouns that were in this passage. Um, rulers, authorities, you know, cosmic powers, spiritual forces, but all of them seem to be describing fallen angels, or as we call them, demons. Our struggle against them is commonly called spiritual warfare. Now, this used to be a hot topic back in the 80s and 90s. I think some of you guys probably remember this around the same time that if, if you played D&D, then you were in real trouble with your youth pastor. Um, but but it, was, it, was, it was mostly in the more charismatic movements. There were people who could find a demon under every bush, in every shadow, but now, because of that, the pendulum has swung the other way. Now there's more and more people who are practically ignoring the fact that spiritual warfare even exists. There's so many folks identifying their religious affiliation as nuns, you know, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. And, then, and Christendom has adopted this, this pop psychology, and so spiritual warfare is likely to be dismissed. 
you know, instead of disgust like it ought to be. Listen, friends, we need to be aware of the devil's schemes. And we need to be prepared to withstand his attempts to destroy us. Spiritual warfare is real. Someone, I forget who it was. Craig probably knows. Someone once said, the devil's greatest trick was convincing the world he doesn't exist. I'm going to check out verse 13 in the first part of 14. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And by the way, in case you're wondering what the, the title of the sermon means, that's where it came from. Arms, in this context, is defined as weapons or instruments of warfare that can be used for offense or defense, okay? So we are to take up the whole armor of God, and taking up all of it is important. We're going to see why shortly here. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Do you guys think maybe Paul was trying to drive home a point? You know, friends, Christians are required to stand. Paul uses uh, four times in this little section. You know, the, the, the word stand is also in verse 11. Four times he uses variants of the word, the Greek word for stand. In this short passage, I mean, think about it, okay? Standing requires at least some measure of effort, doesn't it? I mean, it's not sitting, it's not lying down. It also requires some measure of alertness, right? I mean, if you're standing, your eyes are probably open. You're probably aware of your surroundings, unless you're you know, doing this. But if, if you are standing, you are also able to get moving much more quickly than if you're lounging around. Okay? Standing up means you're in a better position to put up resistance. So in other words, when he tells us stand, stand, withstand, stand, therefore, he's saying be ready, be ready to resist the cosmic powers of darkness. But how in the world can we fight or, 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 you know, or even stand up to spiritual beings when we're physical beings? Well, that's what Paul fleshes out in these four verses. He says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the, the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. All right, now I want you to, to pause there because we're going to take up an armor inventory, okay? We're going to look again at our armor guy. Um, here's a, there's a few pieces. Now, we haven't gotten to all these yet. Wow, that red is kind of hard to see. Sorry about that. Hopefully, you can see it sort of. Um, that was a white background when I did it. That's all right. Um, so, uh, by the way, if you're doing the crossword, there's four underlined words there. Um, so, we see from top to bottom, there's the helmet of salvation, there's the the breastplate of righteousness, there's the belt of truth, there's the sword of the Spirit, there's the shield of faith, and there's the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. And I think it's interesting how Paul refers to the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes of readiness as already having been put on. Look again at your passage. He says, having put on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having put on the shoes of the readiness. And then he tells Christians in the next few verses to take up 
the next three. Now, I may be making too much of that, but it seems to me that maybe the first three items are things that a soldier would wear pretty much all the time, whether in combat or not. But these other pieces, maybe they're, they're for specifically for combat. I want to discuss, though, the specifics of these pieces of armor, because first of all, the belt of truth, okay? That's going to be important for a couple of reasons, mainly because it prevents the wearer from tripping or from getting hung up on things around him, which is, that, that's what happens if, if you're, you're wearing an unencumbered flowing robe, right? It's going to get hooked on stuff. It's going to get under underfoot. But ancient soldiers, they weren't usually uh, naked under their armor. You know, they were typically wearing clothing. And so what did they do? If they had their cloak and their tunic on, they could have tucked those longer parts into their garments, into their belts, in order to keep their legs free for action. In fact, you've probably heard the phrase, gird up your loins, you know? <laughs> That's the, God says it to Job, gird up your loins like a man. Uh, that's not just a euphemism. I mean, it actually, it's not just saying, get ready to rumble. It's explaining how. You know, you're getting ready to be able to move. It's an important step in the preparation process. Same thing with truth, okay? Truth keeps us from tripping up. You ever heard the old saying that, that, that telling the truth is easier than lying because you only have to remember one story? Okay, well, and of course, God also hates lying. He says so very specifically. In Scripture, two of the seven things that God hates in Proverbs have to do with lying. But I think Paul's reference is to the truth of the gospel, which is the message that brings salvation to those who believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die on the cross for our sins as a sacrifice, and then God raised him from the dead. And that was just as he had promised. And it proved Jesus was exactly who he said he was, okay? That, that is the truth that we Christians need to know that should keep us from tripping up. It keeps us unencumbered by pride or falsehood. You know, when, when we understand what he did for us, it ought to keep us honest and it ought to keep us humble. It's also been said the belt is the part of the armor that holds the rest together. And that certainly makes sense spiritually, at least. Without the truth of the gospel, we wouldn't have the wherewithal to fight against evil. In fact, we wouldn't even want to because we would have unregenerate minds. We need the belt of truth. And then the breastplate of righteousness protects the heart and all the other vital organs in there, right? You know, just, just as a soldier protects his heart from the thrust of a spear by armoring up, so the Christian protects his spiritual heart with the armor of God. Scripture tells us, tells us, guard your hearts. Why? For it is the wellspring of life. It's the point from which life flows. And just as we need our, our physical heart to live, so we must guard our spiritual hearts in order to maintain our lives in Christ. Now, that's, that's an easy, you know, allegory here, but you may wonder, well, well, why is this the breastplate of righteousness? Well, here's why, I, I think. Because living in righteousness means behaving justly and morally, and that is how we protect the inner man. If we're not living with a sense of fairness, justice, if we're not living with the same moral desire to follow the commands of God, 
friends, we're not protecting our hearts. We're going to, we're going to, to catch a spear. If we know God commands us a certain way to live, and then we walk in that, it keeps our hearts safe. But guys, we have to take precautions to make sure that we don't slip up. We take precautions based on the commands that we know. You know adultery is a sin, so don't hang out alone with a member of the opposite sex. You know pride is a sin, so seek accountability for your attitude. If you struggle with alcoholism, don't go to the bar after work. It's very simple. Guard your heart, and God will honor that. Continuing on, the shoes of readiness prepare one to act. You ever gone out to the mailbox, and you leave your shoes inside because, you know, it's just a few feet, but there's a sticker in the yard, and you didn't, you didn't know, and you find it, don't you? It's like, or you're out walking to the kitchen in the middle of the night and somebody left Legos on the floor. Or, or even worse, I know Legos have a bad rep, but, but those die-cast planes with the tail fin that sticks up, it's like stepping on a razor blade. I keep telling Shannon, pick up your toys, but she... <laughs> I'm kidding, honey. <laughs> anyway, shoes are an important part of readiness. Without them, you are not usually prepared for anything strenuous. You know, certainly not for combat. Knowing the gospel of Jesus is great preparation for our earthly life. It puts things in proper perspective. And then, and then we're prepared to move, to follow, to serve the king. Soldiers ought to keep their boots on when they're in the combat zone. And, and so should we. So, so think on the gospel, friends. Meditate daily on what the Lord has done for us. And we'll be ready to obey him because we're going to have so much gratitude for his amazing mercy. Let the gospel prepare you to move. Let's keep reading. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, dot, dot, dot. Now, now Paul, Paul gets into the parts of the armor here that are beyond the standard uniform. He leads with the shield of faith, which prevails over the darts of doubt of temptation, self-righteousness, you know, all, all those things that Satan attacks us with. And it's interesting to me, at least, that there's, there's more than one Greek word for shield, okay? And, and the one Paul uses here is a very particular type of shield. It's not one of those little circular ones that gladiators would wear on their forearm. Um, this, this was the, the Roman scutum, which was a really large, curved, rectangular shield that they would hold in front of them that extends from your nose to your knees, all right? And it wasn't made of metal either, by the way. It was made of wooden planks that, were, that had a sheet of leather stretched over them. And if, if you fought against an enemy, which they often did, that used flaming arrows, the Romans could dip the shields in water before they went into battle, and those shields would extinguish the flaming arrows. The shield keeps the fiery darts from even reaching the rest of the armor, which is kind of neat if you think about it. I mean, that, that's, that's what biblical faith does. By biblical faith, I mean faith is belief, which leads to action. Okay, when the shield of faith is sturdy, we're protected from what Satan knows at us, throws at us, excuse me, and knows. <laughs> you know, something you may not know, 
is where the word devil comes from. You've heard the Greek, uh, or the, excuse me, the Spanish word for devil, right? Diablo, very similar to the Greek. The Greek word is diabolos, from two words meaning to hurl toward. Think about that. Satan, our, our adversary, that's what Satan in Hebrew literally means, is adversary. Satan throws accusations at us. But when we have faith, it serves by protecting us from both the devil's lies and the devil's partial truths. I want you to, to think about this. He, he throws partial truths too, right? Like he tells us things we already know, like you messed up bad that time, right? But then he tries to make us focus on that instead of on the fact that our forgiveness was already purchased by the blood of Christ. We need our faith in Christ and his gospel to carry us through. And there's one more really cool, it's like a bonus factor to the Roman shield that, that I think is really neat. When, when the Romans were in a group, they would place their shields next to one another and they would form a phalanx where the soldiers in the middle, this, this is if they're approaching a wall. Often they would they had, had another word, they would use a Roman word for tortoise where the shields were like a dome, okay? But what they would do uh, if they're approaching a fortress, they would raise, some of them would raise their shields up, the soldiers in the middle, and then they'd be able to advance into almost any combat situation, even up to the wall, because they could, they could protect one another from, from the vertical projectiles, just as they could from the horizontal projectiles coming from the front. Now, think about this. When the soldiers banded together and linked their shields, they were nearly impenetrable. Would that the body of Christ had that kind of discipline, had that kind of together spirit to link our shields, to advance for the glory of God. If only we recognized our dependence on one another. What about the helmet of salvation? This one's easier. The helmet protects the head, right? The knowledge of salvation provides assurance to the mind of the believer. When we remember that our salvation, listen, when we remember that our salvation is dependent on the perfection of Christ and not our own performance, that is an incredibly valuable truth that we got to carry with us at all times. Because if it depends on your perfection, we're all going to hell. If it depends on my perfection, we're all going to hell. It depends on the perfection of Christ. And that assurance keeps fear at bay, and it allows us to stay focused on our objective, which is what? It's God's will. God's will for our lives is our objective. If you're suffering from anxiety or from depression, Take up the helmet of salvation. Remember your salvation is in the Lord. And, and by the way, spend plenty of time in his word, which is the sword of the spirit. Now this is a really important part of the armor of God because I want you to hear this. It's having his word inside of us that prohibits us from succumbing to the temptation to sin. So before I elaborate, let me reiterate Having his word inside of us helps us avoid sin. 
not having his word on the shelf, not having his word in our phone, having it memorized in our minds and internalized in our hearts. That is how we use the sword of the Spirit. That's how you wield it. I want you to think about it. How did Jesus stand firm against the temptation of Satan in the wilderness? That's right. Every, t- every time that the devil tried to get him to sin, Jesus countered by firing off a scripture every time. At one point, Satan even tried to twist God's own word by using it out of context, but Jesus knew it too well to fall for that. When we're deeply familiar with God's word, it makes it much easier to know his will, and it protects us from anything that will get through the shield. Did you know Romans led with their shield? This brings us to the Greek word for sword that's used here. It wasn't a great, a great broad sword like something William Wallace would swing, but a short sword. Okay? It was more like a dagger. That's, the word was also translated sometimes dagger. That was for extremely close quarters combat. And it's kind of cool to think like, you know, the, almost all of the, the armor, well, we'll get there in just a second. Just even the sword is mainly defensive. You see how he's holding it inside the, the shield? They didn't have cameras back then, but, you know, it's, it, it's a reenactment, obviously. But the main offensive weapon of the Romans and, and the Jews were spears and throwing javelins, not the sword, okay? The sword was for when the enemy was practically on top of you. So it's cool to think about the fact that almost all of the armor of God is defensive in nature. And on top of that, it's also been pointed out that there's no armor mentioned for the back. And I remember hearing someone once say that the armor is all on the front because God has got your back. That's kind of encouraging if you think about it. You know, it's kind of cool. As long as we're facing the right direction, you don't have to worry about your six. God's got it covered. But you still might be wondering, if the sword is primarily for for what gets past the shield, well, does Paul name any weapons that are further reaching? Something that might be considered the main offensive weapon for a Christian? Actually, yes. Yes, he does. He does. A weapon that can be used to strike out against the powers of evil or to protect an ally even at a distance? Yeah, but it's often left out of these sermons. Why? Because, Because there's no corresponding physical object like the belt or the helmet, but it's an incredibly important part. And Paul mentions it in the very next verse. And what it is, is prayer. It's it's prayer. This is arguably the easiest and most convenient part of the Christian walk. And yet it's something that, that is one of the least used. Because when we have something always with us, we take it for granted. It's always available. Why don't we use it more often? Church, prayer is the tip of the spear when struggling against the cosmic powers of darkness. You know, in verse 18, Paul adds, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Why in the world does this verse usually get left out of discussions on the armor of God? 
It was even left out of, of when I looked online, most of the, the pictures I found left it out. It, it, there's so much in this one verse. You know, for one thing, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, did you notice the word all shows up four different times in this? Four different times in this little section of Scripture. So what does that say to us? I want you to stick with me. This is quick, but it's deep, okay? The what here is praying with all prayer and supplication. This, this is asking for God's protection, provision, guidance, and blessing, okay? All prayer and supplication. The when is at all times. Pretty clear, right? The how is in the Spirit and with all perseverance because we should pray by God's power. We should pray in God's will, but we should also do that with enduring patience, okay? We should, listen, never give up on praying for something that you believe is God's will. Never give up. The who or the whom, you English folks, is, is that we're to pray for are all the saints, meaning the body of Christ at large as well as the local, of body, uh, the local body of Christ that we belong to and the individual members of it, which brings us to the implied why, which is for the purpose of intercession. That's what we're doing. So let's, let's put all of that together, okay? The way that we are to do battle in prayer is with all prayers at all times, in the spirit with all perseverance for all the saints to intercede on one another's behalf. And there's one missing, that's the where. We can pray anywhere. That's why we take it for granted. We can do it anywhere. You can pray if you're tied to a stake. You can pray in class. You can pray at work. You can pray in bed before you fall asleep or when you can't fall asleep. You can get up in the morning and pray while you're eating breakfast. You can pray anywhere. And we don't need to be in a specific place, you know, it's with certain people. or You don't have to be in a particular mood. Anywhere. You can pray. You can do it out loud. You can do it silently. You know, in a house with a mouse, you know. I mean, we can pray wherever. And, and our church body, listen, has specifically set aside Tuesdays at 7 p.m., to meet corporately over Zoom and pray over the church prayer list and, and, and whatever else we need to, to cover at the time. Don't know who's calling me at the moment. Um, it's all right, but, but that was weird. Stop that. Um, I, I, wanna, I think Dave's sincere plea last week was perfect. Uh, there were, and after that, there were a dozen different IPs that were logged in for the last prayer meeting, I think about 15 faces. That is a record, okay? But your elders are asking that even more, we want to see even more of this congregation engaged, making use of that blessing. We have technology that we didn't have a few years ago that allows us to meet together from our homes to pray. We're asking for you to do one hour a week. Jesus said to his disciples, could you not tarry one hour? Consider it. Consider it. God wants us to connect with him and with one another 
during the week. And he places, he places so many good things in our paths that we are so slow to avail ourselves of. Don't let prayer be the thing you neglect this week, okay? That's not just how we grow in the Lord. It's also how it's the best way to launch a counter-strike against the ultimate enemy, okay? I'm going to wrap up with this. I, I was debating whether to share this. I think I will. <laughs> it's short. I'm going to close with a snippet. This is from a text conversation I had with Craig this week. Don't worry. He sent me a, he sent me a quote from guess who? Spurgeon. Yeah, but it hit me really hard. This is the quote. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make only slow advances in the Christian life? Because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. They love the wheat, but they don't want to grind it. They want the corn, but they don't go out in the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs on the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink. Does that make sense? I thought about it and I responded that, you know what makes, I, I typed this, you know what makes me mad when I carry that to its conclusion? There are essentially people starving to death in their fields. Surrounded by God's word, able at any moment to, to communicate with, with him, but we're not. They, we, eat dust and stones instead. Come on. So today, I guess the question, the invitation, the challenge, whatever is, will you partake of the sweet spiritual nourishment that God provides an abundance of? Or will you starve yourself to spiritual death, neglecting prayer and the word? Don't, don't die surrounded by the richest food and the purest water, okay? It's your decision. You've got to make the decision to do it. It's all around you. It's at your feet. It's in your hand. Take it up. Take up the armor. Take it up. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this body of believers, and I ask, Father, that as we uh, prepare this, this morning for the invitation, God, I look around this room, and, and um, I don't think there's any first-time visitors today, Father, and, and everybody here I know has heard the invitation multiple times. I just pray, God, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ or who has placed their faith in Jesus but has not been faithful in obeying the command to be baptized by immersion and to profess their faith publicly. I pray that you'll move on their heart to do that, Lord. I ask, Father, for those who have done that, that they will feel the, the need to walk arm in arm. We are under attack to walk arm in arm with other people that are on the same team, on the same side. Help us to ally together, Father. The world's getting darker, Lord. You know this. We're probably experiencing less of the fallout than almost anyone. But it's coming. And God, I just pray that you'll help us to be strong in you. Help us to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power so that we may take up the armor of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,